Well, we have been in a series where we have been talking about pre-deciding, deciding ahead of time what your values are. Have you enjoyed this series? Did you enjoy Bob's message last week? Man, I left here motivated and encouraged. Thank you, Bob, for sharing with us last week on the value of being faithful. This is going to be the last message in this series about, you know, before you get into a tough situation, it's best to have decided what you value. You know, before you're tempted or before you're struggling or before you're faced with a situation, it's best to know what your values are to help you stay the course. And so those values of what we've been talking about, and today I want to wrap up the series talking about the value of being a finisher. A finisher. Now you may say, JR, how dare you talk to us about finishing when you didn't even finish your beard and you shaved it off. Come on, how many of you noticed I shaved? I did have sideburns on Saturday. My family nixed that. So I didn't, didn't finish the job. I've got a project at my house. I remodeled the basement like, I don't know, two, three years ago. There, there are lots that still need done. How many of you are not great at finishing the house projects? Like I get to a point where uh, I'm mostly done and that's good enough. If everything works, I'm okay with it, right? But there are still some outlets that need replaced in my basement. And guess what the conversation in my house has been for the last year and a half? You know how long it takes to change an outlet? Not long. 10, 15 minutes, half hour if you're me. I'm not always a good finisher when it comes to things like projects and stuff like that. And that's not exactly what we're talking about today, but maybe. Maybe you need to finish some things in your life like that that you've been putting off, procrastinating. Maybe God's challenged you on some things He wants you to finish. I want to take a look at uh, 2 Timothy today, and I want to think about it. You've got to remember that the Bible, particularly uh, books like 2 Timothy, weren't written as books. They were written as a letter to someone. It was the way Paul corresponded to Timothy. And Timothy is one of Paul's spiritual sons, if you will. He's an apprentice. He's an up-and-coming leader. He's quite a leader already in his own right by the time this is written. And so sometimes when we read through our Bibles and we see the little numbers and the verses, they're just kind of individual lines. But sometimes if you stop and you read your Bible like it was intended to be read, like a letter, sometimes you can catch the emotion of a situation or the bigger picture, the context. And I would encourage you when you read your Bibles, think of that. Think of the greater context sometimes when you're reading. I'm going to read to you 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. And I want you to put yourself in this situation. You know, we've just been talking about people that are in other nations. And imagine that a friend of yours or someone that you love or your spiritual father, one of your mentors, is in prison in another nation. I don't, I don't even want to use any current examples like people like Ethan that are serving abroad. What if Ethan had to write us a letter from prison? That does happen in the world. Paul's writing a letter from prison to his son that he loves, his spiritual son. So keep that in mind as we read this. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but to also all who have loved his appearing. Lord, as we learn from your word this morning about the value of finishing, completing, Lord, I pray that you would be reminding each individual of things that you've placed before them to do, the race you have placed in each person's life to run. Our lives are not without purpose. But God, you have called us to a great variety of things, individually and corporately. And God, I pray you'd be reminding us of those as we learn together today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wanted to give up? Ever wanted to quit? I think we all know what it's like to quit and to want to give up. Give up on a goal. Give up on a dream. Give up on a vision that we have for our lives. Why do we do that? Why do we give up? Why do we quit? It's hard. We're kind of like water. We like to take the path of least resistance. We like life to be downhill and easy, and we like to roll around the difficult, hard things. And when things get hard, we quit. We have a tendency to quit. And I think we probably all have stories in our lives where we quit something and we regretted it, disappointed in our own character and our own unwillingness to persevere. What are you tempted to quit right now? Relationship? Marriage? What about a friendship that's in difficulty? Want to give up? Throw in the towel? How about parenting? Man, just get to a point where you're like, maybe want to give up a little bit early and let your kid do whatever they want. Think about it for a minute. What are you tempted to give up on right now? What is something maybe you did give up on that God wants you to pick back up again and persevere with it. It's hard. You know, there is times that we should quit. You know, when we, when we were getting ready to get married, one of the deals was I had to quit Copenhagen. How many of you know what Copenhagen is? Do I still live in Montana? What's going on? For some reason, Janie didn't like to kiss me when I had Copenhagen in my mouth. I don't know what the deal was there, but... 
Sometimes it's good to quit. We got to know when to quit. I'm not talking about being prideful and stubborn. I'm talking about persevering when it's time to persevere, when we want to give up. And Paul is such an inspiration to us in this. He is in a prison somewhere. Some, uh, some historians believe that his prison situation in this particular case was probably some sort of a sewage kind of situation, dungeon underneath the city, usually in chains. Probably he knows his time's over. He's about to be executed by Nero. He knows that. And it seems that he's at peace with that when he knows, I ran the race. I finished what I was called to do. I've kept the faith. Paul didn't give up. He was a finisher. And I wonder, do I value finishing? Do we value persevering? Sometimes we have to make up our mind that I'm going to be a finisher. I'm not a quitter. If God calls me to something, I'm going to complete it. I'm going to run that race. Everything from your life as a whole to the day-to-day things God's called you to do and be. Got to make up your mind that I'm going to be a finisher. Sadly, some people even give up on life itself. They get to a point where they cannot cope any longer. They give up. And some of those people even take their own lives. I don't think there, I can't think of anything more traumatic that I've seen in a family and in loved ones and friends than when someone takes their own life. They give up. Maybe you've been there. I've been there. I've felt those feelings before. Many of us have. How do we strengthen our resolve? How do we strengthen our character so that we persevere? The world around you wants you to quit. You have an enemy that wants you to quit. Give it up. Just settle for mediocrity. Settle for halfway. Just survive. Just get through it. But God has actually called us to persevere. I want to go back to verse 5 of Timothy. It says, as for you, he's giving Timothy instruction, be sober-minded. Be strong in your mind. Think clearly. Endure suffering. So often, this is what causes us to quit. We run into suffering and we think something must be wrong. And we're trying to go through something and it challenges us to the max of our capability and our character. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Finish your race. Finish, he's saying, Paul's saying, Timothy, my time's over. I ran my race. You're not done. Finish what God has called you to do. Persevere in all of these things. Be strong and overcome. We've got to identify what it is. What are the things that God is calling you to persevere in or me to persevere in or in all of us together as a family of believers to persevere in? What are those things? We've got to be able to identify them. What is it that God wants to do with you? What is he challenging you to do? Thankfully, we have a God who is with us, as we just discussed. 
His Spirit is right here prompting us every day in our decisions, in our direction. Are we taking the time to quiet the noise inside of us to let God steer us? Are we submitting these things to Him in prayer? When we run into a situation, are we really actually taking the time to go, God, here's my situation. Lead me in this. If you're like me, it's so often just a quick prayer, like two seconds, Lord, help me, let's go. <laughs> but sometimes you, when life's hard, you've got to take the time and you've got to sit down. You've got to quiet your soul. You've got to listen for the Holy Spirit. You've got to let God, you got to spend time in his word. You've got to bring your requests before the Lord and let him steer you. What is it that God is calling you to do now? It's hard to finish something when you don't prioritize it and you don't value it. I am I'm just ter- I'm one of the worst people about this, but when someone asks me how I'm doing, I try to be honest. I give up for seasons actually. How you doing, Jared? Good? Are you really? Yep. But then sometimes when I want to be honest, what do I say? I'm tired. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm busy. How often is that my answer? How often is that what I'm feeling? I'm too busy to do what God wants me to do. I had too much other stuff going on. But then I think back to what Paul said, and I would like to get to the point in my life, if I pass away tomorrow or if I live to be 100, when I get there, I want to be able to say, I finished the race. My life was poured out like a drink offering. I kept the faith. I persevered. I finished the race. I finished it. A guy named David Allen in a book called Getting Things Done, he said, much of the stress that people feel doesn't come from having too much to do. It actually comes from not finishing what they'd already started. If I had a list of the things I've procrastinated, do I have any other fellow pro- professional procrastinators in the room? I must do some searching on my, you know how when you search something on your phone and all of a sudden it appears in your Facebook feed? Actually, I think it's actually listening to me talk too because I'll just start talking about something and then it appears in my social media and if I talk about, ah, I, need, I need some help with procrastination pretty soon. All, half of my Facebook ads are about procrastination. God, are you trying to tell me something? Getting creepy out there. You know, when I first came to church at Mount Helena, it was first maybe six months, maybe nine months that I was here. Uh, I knew what prophetic ministry was. I'd experienced a little bit of it. But there was a funny little Englishman named Keith Hazel who is now passed on. He was kind of a father figure in this church. He was from England, and then he lived in Canada up in Lethbridge for a while. Man, he was a funny, funny guy. Brian used to tell stories like when he talked, he'd spit so much, you'd end up with some of it in your own mouth. It was pretty frustrating. But Keith had a very strong prophetic gift, and he was preaching. We were in the Myrna Loy Center back in those days, and I was sitting in the crowd. Never experienced anything quite like this before. He's kind of wrapping up his preaching, and then he points at me. And he calls me out, and so and he comes down, and he starts praying over me, and he, he doesn't know me from Adam. And he says, I think you've just started some kind of training somewhere, and God comes to you today and says, you need to finish what you started. 
because it's key for your future. Now, what Keith didn't know is I had just started in a heating and air conditioning apprenticeship. And what he didn't know also is that I don't think a week went by for the next five years that I didn't want to quit. Actually, the first few years I did, I, the situation was terrible. I, it, it, I'm not going to give any detail because this is a small town. It was awful. I wanted to quit. I hated it. I didn't hate the work, but I did not enjoy the circumstances. I still have nightmares that I'm back there. It was so hard for me. So hard. And yet, every time I wanted to quit, I remembered that this funny little Englishman with a prophetic gift called me out of the crowd and nailed me prophetically. And later on, I went on to start my own business. This was before I went full-time here in ministry. That education was key to my future. I'm so glad today that I finished that. Even even though that's not what I'm doing today, I'm so glad I finished. Have you ever wanted to quit? Have you ever wanted to give up? Sometimes we need to stop and go, I want to give up, but does God want me to give up? God want me to throw in the towel on my marriage, my job, my relationships, my finances, my life. Revelation chapter 3, in verses 1 and 2, it says, I, this, is, this is Jesus writing letter, letters to the churches, if you will. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. That's why we like to be authentic. I want to fake it. I want to fake like I'm alive and exuberant and excited if I'm not. I don't want to pretend for anybody. We want to be real. You look like you're alive. You have a reputation about it, but actually you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. (laughs) For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. He's challenging the church. Your work's not finished. I know your works. I know you've worked hard. You have a reputation of being working hard, but that's not the case today. Let's wake up and finish what we were called to do, who we were born to be, what God has challenged you to do. These are pretty strong words from Jesus himself. What is your unfinished business? Paul had finished his race. Timothy was still in it. If you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, anybody dead here? I mean, if you do, let me know. We'll make sure it gets taken care of, all right? If you're not dead, you're not done. You got one more day left. You're not done. You're here for a reason. God made humanity on purpose for a reason, to be his image bearers in this world. And every day that we live, we're called to purpose. If we don't even know what that is specifically that day, at least we know that that day we are a reflector of God in the world around us, wherever we find ourselves, wherever our feet may tread. If you're not dead, you're not done. So what's next? What's next? Or what's God calling you to finish? We need to pause and reflect. What is God pushing me to finish? Where is God? Even now, open up your heart now as we read these words. The Bible says the word of God is alive and active. It's like a sharp sword. It goes right into you. It discerns you. It goes, and let it go inside you right now and ask yourself this question. God, what are you showing me? What do you, try, what do you want to shore up in my life today by these words? 
How is your spirit speaking to me through these scriptures? What are you calling me to finish? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's writing to the church in Corinthians about a giving situation. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also the first to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. I mean, this is kind of like a situation where, like, if we agreed to raise this money for Davy's bicycle, or I'm sorry, motorcycle, it's a motorcycle, it's cool, I'm kind of jealous. If we, if we agreed that we're going to raise this money for, for Davy last year, and then we get around to this year, and it's not quite finished yet, and Paul's writing and saying, let's finish it. We started out with a willingness, let's go ahead and finish with a willingness. Let's find that in ourselves, that strength of character or value of finishing to go ahead and complete what we've been called to do. One of the ways that I think helps us value finishing is to understand the bigger picture of what's going on. I mean, first of all, in life, what does Paul say in verse 8? Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. What does Paul understand? Something much bigger than the fact that he's about to be beheaded. Paul knows he's about to die. I don't know. I mean, can you empathize with that? Let's exercise some empathy here for Paul this morning. How many of you are really low in the empathy department? I'll admit I am. I guess the rest of you are nice. But Come on, let's put ourselves in his shoes. I'm about to die. I am suffering. These are the last things I get to write. This may be the last time Paul had anything to say to Timothy. I don't know for sure, but it sure looks that way. And this is what he chooses to say. I've finished. Now you finish. Do the work of an evangelist. Finish. Complete. Do your ministry. He sees the bigger picture. I've shared some of my testimony with you at times. Major turning point in my life was becoming a father at the age of 17, which is almost oxymoronic sounding. It is physically possible. But I was not ready to be a dad. And even when I look at 17-year-old kids now today, I'm like, holy smokes, I was just a baby trying to be an adult. And I had gotten a girl pregnant. It was my junior year of high school. It was towards in the spring. And I hid it for a while. It was the 4th of July, 1995. I'll spare you all the details, but I pulled my mom and dad into the office. I'm like, I got to tell you this. Um, This girl's pregnant. And they're like, so? (laughs) I'm the dad. What? And my dad said something to me I'm never going to forget. I'll never forget it. It's just as clear in my head. He's leaning back in his office chair. His eyes are kind of glassy, and he's got his hands behind his head like this. And I'm, I'm a wreck. You know what I was feeling right then? I want to give up. I'm done. I hate life. I'm so humiliated. Do you know what humiliation feels like? 
and everyone in the world knows what you've done and knows who you are is horrifying. I wanted to die. I went around for quite a while slightly crazy. And my dad leans back in his chair and he goes, well, if this is the worst thing that ever happens to you, you're going to be fine. You're going to be doing good. I want you to just think about this for a second. I am an absolute mess. And my dad zoomed out and went, okay. Really, really bad moment. And in the long run, you're going to be fine. I have never, you see why I don't forget that moment? It was so comforting to me. It was so, bigger picture, JR. There's more to your life. There will be days ahead that are different. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't settle for less. I mean, I I, I don't even want to get into what I thought life was going to be at that point. If I survived at all. So thankful for those moments when you can zoom out and see the bigger picture. Paul saw the bigger picture. My dad saw the bigger picture. Can you see the bigger picture of your life? Understanding even that this life here is so short. So, so short. We often think like this. I just got to get to where I die and I'll be good. That's too short. It just is nothing compared to the scheme of eternity. Do you know what your Bible says? It says you will go on to rule and reign with him in new creation. There's so much more after this. Live for more. If you have to suffer the rest of your life in this existence, it will seem like nothing in the big scheme of things. Persevere. Come on. Let's not give up. Let's be like Paul and get to the end of our days and go, I ran the race. I finished. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of bumps in the road and screw-ups and all kinds of stuff. I didn't give up. Don't give up. See the bigger picture. Take the next step. How do we finish? Just take the next step. We talked about this, I think, in the first message of the series. Look, I may not know what my long-term ministry is. You may not know that. Like Paul had, you know, from our perspective, Paul had a clearly defined ministry that he was participating in. He knew what that was. But this is really about everything in life. It's about from parenting. It's about your career. It's about day-to-day things you do in ministry, not just a big picture ministry, but also the day-to-day things. Just do what's next. Just do the one thing you know God is speaking to you to obey and do. I mean, maybe it was when we were taking up the offering for Davy and his motorcycle. We'll use that example again. What if God prompted you in your heart to give and you threw five bucks in the offering? You're like, well, I did. I was prompted. I did it. Look at what you get to celebrate now. I played a part of that. I helped that man fulfill his ministry. That was your ministry to him, was your generosity. Just whatever one little thing God is challenging you to do, do it. Take the next step. But what do we do? We get stuck in apathy. We get stuck in depression. The, the life comes at us and we can't even take the next step. Apathy, I, I just, 
when you see apathy get a hold of somebody's life, it just stops them in their tracks and they can't move. They're stuck. They can't muster up the energy or the drive or the, the will to just take the next step. If you have ever suffered with real depression, I'm with you. I know what that feels like. And sometimes I've described it to people like this when it's its worst. You ever have to go into an x-ray room and put on one of those lead vests? They're heavy, and they weigh on you. And sometimes when you're struggling severely with depression, that's what it feels like. I've had it where it just feels like it's almost crushing you. It literally physically is heavy. And sometimes when I have days like that, I go, I'm talking in my head and I'm just saying, just take the next step. Just take the next step. Just take the next step. Get through that door. Get to the car. Just get out to the living room and grab, out to the kitchen and grab a cup of coffee. Just, you know what? How many of you know what that feels like? If you're willing to be honest with me. Can't even breathe. It's heavy. It's hard. But here's the thing. Don't get stuck in apathy. Don't be the victim. Here's what happens. Sometimes we talk ourselves into thinking, this is all this way because of everything else. It's everyone else's fault. It's the world's fault. Bad stuff happened to me. I, it's not my problem. I'm just going to wallow in this muddy place for the rest of my life and not do anything about it. And it's okay if you have a day or two or a stretch of time where you really can't do anything about it. I understand how that feels. But don't settle for that. Don't spend the rest of your life in apathy not being enthusiastic enough to just take the next step. You don't have to shoot for the stars. Just take one step, one healthy step. Whether that be just talking to somebody or not touching that addiction that you have, whatever it is. Just one step at a time, one thing. That's how we finish. That's how you finish a race is one step at a time. Think about Jesus finishing the race. Matthew chapter 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him. And they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. They took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe and put on his own clothes and they led him away to crucify him. Jesus saw the bigger picture. Jesus didn't give up. He fell with his cross. He's bleeding everywhere. He's been beaten. I would want to give up if I was him. I like you guys, but I don't know if I like you that much. Right? He loved you that much. He saw the bigger picture. He was beaten, spit on, mocked. All those things. Stripped naked. Humiliated. Did not deserve it. Yet he just, one step after the other. And guess where he was walking? Towards the cross. He saw the bigger picture. He understood really what mattered. And he endured the temporary suffering to finish it. And what does he say? It is finished. 
John chapter 19. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It's finished. Here's another thought about finishing don't run alone. We weren't meant to run alone. We don't run this race alone. Look around you. Look at how many people in Helena, Montana decided to get up and come hang out with you today. We, the context of the kingdom is in community, not Lone Ranger. In fact, the very idea of having a gift implies that it's meant for something. Not meant for you to put on a shelf and look at your gifts that God has given you. It's meant for community. It's meant for others. We don't run this race alone. And when you're having one of those days where you can barely breathe and you're only putting one foot in front of the other or you've fallen into your addiction again or you've failed in one of your goals or maybe you just gave up on something and you need somebody to encourage you and get you talked back into it, you've you got to have community. You've got to have people around you who love you and have grace for you and going to help you get back up and finish that race. I'm going to turn your attention to the screen we're going to watch one more video. Perhaps you've seen this before, so forgive me if you have, but it never ceases to amaze me. Craig Masback back at Olympic Stadium in Barcelona, coming up to the men's 400-meter semifinals. Here are the lane assignments. Steve Lewis in lane three. Top four to Wednesday's final. Steve Lewis in lane three. Roberto Hernandez out quickly in four. Now down the back stretch. Ismael on the left of the screen is running very, very quickly. And inside of Lewis, Sunday Bada of Nigeria. And Derek Redman of Great Britain has pulled up with an injury. Redman is out. Derek Redman, the British record holder and an important member of that British 4 by 400 meter relay team as he doesn't want anybody to help him. And it'll be Lewis to win in 44.50. Look at this. He's going to try to finish his semifinal race. The British have a certain tradition of running which you have to respect a bizarre finish to this first semi-final in the men's 400 meters Derek Redmond of Great Britain pulled up with an injury halfway down the back stretch he's fighting off those trying to help him to finish the race in his lane and now the pain too much. throughout Olympic Stadium as Redmond, with assistance this time, approaches the finish line he had wanted so desperately to reach.
is the Olympic spirit. Derek Redmond held the British record for the 400. And he, a good possibility he could win that day. <clears throat> but, you know, his dad came out there and helped him just finish. You know, he didn't run the race maybe like he had wanted to. And I want to remind you that you don't run this race alone. You have community around you. But even more than that, you have a Heavenly Father who runs with you. He's right with you. Sometimes we think of him as up in heaven just cracking the whip to run the race. That's not God. He made, he made you. He loves you. He'll come right down on that track and pick you up and help you finish. Whether it's the big long race or whether it's just the next step, he's right there with you. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this. If, if Paul was sure of it, I think you can be too. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Jesus said, it is finished. At the end of Revelation, it says, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. He is orchestrating something, and he's right there with you to help you finish. And finish strong. Let's pray. Lord, I just find myself, every time I pray, I want to pray this. I'm so glad you're not distant. I'm so glad you're not a far off in outer space, slave driver, angry. But God, that you, you love us. You, before you made mankind, you saw how it would go. You saw that men would fail. You saw that we would suffer. And yet you saw that it was worth it to still do so. And I'm amazed by you. And Lord, I pray for myself and for everybody here today, whatever it is we need to finish, maybe it's as simple as finishing the basement, but maybe it's just finishing the next step in a recovery program. Maybe it's taking the next step and figuring out how to deal with the depression or the anxiety. Maybe it's just taking the next step to just Engage in a conversation with somebody that I need to talk to. Maybe it's starting that small group you've been tugging on my heart to do. Maybe, maybe, maybe this or that or whatever. Lord, I pray that you would be bringing to mind for each person the things that you've called us to finish. And that you would come in the power of your spirit and stir each heart with the courage and the vision to take the next step and be a finisher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I appreciate you joining us this morning. I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking, and he finished his message finally. Good job. If you would like to receive prayer this morning, I would encourage you, if God's tugged on something in you, and you really got to give it up to him, come join our prayer team over here. They'd love to pray with you. And encourage you and strengthen you. For the rest of you, I hope you have a great rest of your week. And we'll see you back here next week. Have a great day.